Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the Cleone P. Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Good evening, and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Sonia Hudson, political reporter with KUER, Max Roth, anchor with Fox 13 News, and Frank Pignanelli, political commentator and lobbyist with Foxley and Pignanelli. Thank you all for being with us uh, this evening. This is such an interesting time in politics, and there are just so many stories that are connected together. But I, I want to start with you, Max. A, a week and a half ago, I had a chance to even talk with you as the rioters are storming the Capitol in Washington, D.C. And since that time, a, a, a big event again uh, with same kind of controversy with the impeachment proceedings. Talk about those uh, impeachment proceedings in the House really through the Utah lens with how Utahns are seeing this activity. Well, the the impeachment charge, just one charge, uh, uh, incitement of insurrection, I think is the is the phrase, uh, and that's a, a very serious. Um, crime that they're that they're saying uh, he committed the and that is because of the not just the speech he gave to the crowd before they marched on the hill and his family spoke there too and and his lawyer prior to that and but also because he had uh, he had signaled that that would be a wild day through his Twitter account January 6th uh, would be a wild day in Washington DC and then asked people to to come and then from then until January 6th had uh, consistently said, that uh, the election had been stolen uh, and that they would not have a country if they didn't, in his words, and pardon the language, but his words fight like hell. And uh, um, and so that's where that charge comes from. The Utah delegation all voted against impeachment. Um, we've heard specifically from uh, John Curtis from the 3rd District and Blake Moore from the 1st. Um, Curtis saying that he does think that Trump bears some responsibility for what happened last Wednesday, and he co-sponsored uh, a censure motion. Blakemore also saying that he was disturbed by those events. Uh, I don't think that I, I don't think that he specifically said that the president bears some responsibility. But he's been pretty measured in his remarks. Our, our, our delegation hasn't been the fire breathers, but we haven't heard from Chris Stewart or Burgess Owens yeah, directly. Yeah, still waiting on. Uh, maybe it's worth getting into those words a little bit, Sonia. I want to read uh, a, a quote from Congressman John Curtis because it goes right to what Max was saying. I'm curious how, how you are hearing about this uh, through our Utah community. Representative Curtis said, I condemn the president's words and actions which contributed to last week's violence and encourage all Americans to similarly condemn. I vote no to rushing impeachment and politicizing what could have been a serious and thoughtful bipartisan review. This is what Max was talking about, too. And this is the line that they're finding is that they're not condemning the actions, but talking about the process, the timeline itself. I mean, I think it's a very typical response for a Utah Republican, right? Um, especially more moderate ones like John Curtis that really try to walk this line of, you know, being a Republican, being supportive of the head of the Republican Party, who is President Trump, um, while also sticking to, um, you know, not, not siding with him completely all the time. And so you have this walking this line of, yes, what happened was wrong, but I'm not gonna go so far as to side with the Democrats to you know, move forward with this impeachment that I think is being rushed and I don't like the process. 
This is so interesting, Frank, because you are just so good on politics and you're connected also. This is a hard line. Uh, Congressman Curtis voted no on impeachment, but he's still getting death threats in the state. He's still getting death threats. The, the, the problem is, is the impeachment, the second impeachment, has become politicized. I, I believe that had something like this happened in the state capitol, you would have had the Speaker of the House, the President of the Senate, the two minority leaders in a joint press conference because they immediately would have got together. That didn't happen in Washington. I don't know if those people ever talked to each other. Uh, Nancy Pelosi and, and Minority Leader McCarthy with their separate ways to start doing different things. So there was not that chance to get together and say, okay, how do we deal with this? Now, because it, yes, you have the insurrection, but at the end of the day, this is the issue that everyone, for all of us who love and uh, adore our Constitution, it was that process that was happening. That was that was trying to be interfered with. And so you have to deal with that. So it's unfortunate that, that this has become politicized because then you have our delegation having to vote with the Republicans, although some peeled off. It would have been better if they could have got together and said jointly this is what we're doing because now it's become politicized, which is then going to spill over, of course, next week into the Senate. Yeah. So how does this play in Utah, Max? Well, because oh, go ahead, Sonia. I just want to push back on that a little bit because when is impeachment not politicized? I think that it's always a political process. It takes place in a very political body, that Congress. Um, and I think it's always going to be politicized. Perhaps I think you can make the argument it's even more politicized now because of the climate that we find ourselves in. But I think it's always been politicized. It, the last two impeachments, whether it was Clinton or Trump, you're right. But this was this was an attack on the Capitol. This wasn't a he said, she said. It was very clear what was happening. There was an opportunity, I believe, in those hours after the attack had happened for both sides to say, mm -hmm. how do we deal with, maybe it was an impeachment, maybe it was a censure motion, things like that. I didn't see any evidence of either party coming to, to say, how do we deal with this together? Well, then it became an impeachment process, which you're right, is now very political. It was the most bipartisan impeachment in American history, uh, yet we've only had four, but but it, it was the most. Um, Nixon, if he had reached that point, would have been the most, I think he, uh, but, uh, but still, I mean, to, to have the third in power in the Republican Party, Liz Cheney, uh, on board with impeachment. Right. I mean, uh, I don't know. How, how do you, what more, what more do you do? And especially when, as they were even giving their speeches, Minority Leader McCarthy said the president was responsible and needed to take responsibility for what happened on January 6th. And I think that, um, and so... He's saying that and yet voting against impeachment uh, with, with the process argument. But, um, you know, there, there was clearly some condemnation from both side, both party sides. I think the larger issue is that we have a country where millions of people um, are listening to and believing things that are just simply not mm -hmm. true, that are, that are easily disproven if you're willing to trust uh, and, 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 and believe that, that people in professional positions act out of goodwill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very interesting point to see, because that's clearly enough to mobilize a few groups of people. It's scary. Too. It's scary. Uh, so so to, your, to your point, yeah. so you had 10 Republicans who voted for the impeachment there mm -hmm. in the House. And Sonia, talk about this piece here that both Max and Frank were talking about, too, because some of our, even our delegation is hitting that second point and said, well, you know, this is like 48 hours to a vote. Maybe what we should have had is hearings and an investigation as opposed to just, just running right into it. 
Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a valid argument that you can make. I think that obviously the clock is ticking a little bit because Trump doesn't have very long in office. And in fact, uh, not to jump the gun talking about what's next, but the Senate trial is not going to start until after Biden is inaugurated and Trump is out of office. And so I think they may take some more time with that. Um, but fair argument. Um, I think that people on both sides of the aisle love to make the process argument. Uh, you know, think about the confirmation hearings for Amy Coney Barrett. Those were, you know, rushed through, uh, you could say by some, um, you know, they were, they were done very quickly. And um, I think probably both sides of the aisle are guilty of making that argument. And, and uh, you know, um, it's an indictment. That's what an impeachment is. It's an indictment. And when you think about the different kinds of crime, the Ukraine thing, uh, you, had a, you had a transcript, you had people who were testifying. That There were, there were nuances mm -hmm. to that that required talking to people who were involved to get a real sense of what was happening. Um, now, whether this was a crime or not, leave that off the table for now. Um, what they're saying was a crime is right there. So if, if, if there's something that obviously happens, mm -hmm. guy robs a liquor store, he's on camera, he gets caught while he's running out with the loot, um, you, you charge him, you just mm -hmm. take him and you indict him. Uh, there's, there's not, there's not a, a whole lot of investigation that yeah. needs to happen. Well, everything that we're talking about is on camera and on social media in this, in, in, in this case, whether it's a crime or not, you know, if it is, indictment can be quick. Mm -hmm. Not to mention the fact uh, the vote comes from the very people who are in the room where the rioters were, yeah. were, 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 were there. So yeah, it, and it's it, personal it, for them. Yeah, very personal. Can, can I ask, because uh, Sonia, let's get to what she's calling what's next. This, this, this hearing, this trial that's going to happen in the Senate, this is a precarious position for our two senators. All right. How are they? How are they going to walk this one? What are you seeing, Frank, uh, with Mike Lee, Mitt Romney? Well, we have a couple things going on. First of all, I think President Biden is going to say something because he, because he has a whole agenda he wants to pass, and does he want half the time allotted to get his cabinet through and get all the programs through, have it all chewed up by this trial? So you've got that issue. What, so what is going to happen is this. This happened in 2001. Last time was a 50-50 split. Although you have the vice president can make the difference, they'll come to a power-sharing agreement in terms of committees and things like that because it's because it is split so they'll have to decide that process while they're deciding that process they're going to get input in from the president and others saying what do we do about this this trial do we do it now or do we do it in six weeks or do we need to have a trial because the person's out of office or do we want to do other because we can have a separate vote or whether they not hold office but what that does is that i would argue two things a divided government actually sets it up very well for moderates because you don't have the votes and even if it's so tightly divided in the house it actually gives a lot of power to the moderates like a john Kerr more or like a Mitt Romney to go work the other side. But what, at the end of the day, they're going to have to decide what do they do because there was an attack. Let's take away the, the Capitol building. There was an attack mm -hmm. on the Constitution. So they were, there was an effort by some people to disrupt what was a constitutional process of the 12th Amendment. How do you deny that? And how do you deal with it? Just to blow it off is not going to be enough. So that's really where you, I think you see, you know, where Mike Lee is a constitutional expert. How do you, how do you maneuver around that? Whereas I think you see Mitt Romney, who's, who voted for impeachment, is probably in a better position to do that. Whereas I think Mike Lee will be, become, in many ways, the leader of the constitutional forces of how to do it. So I think both of our senators are well-placed to have some influence in these deliberations. So, Sonia, do you have a comment? 
Yeah, I think Mike Lee is definitely the one to watch. I would not be surprised if Mitt Romney voted to convict the president, um, given his very strong speeches on the Senate floor on the night of January 6th, given how he voted in the last impeachment. He was the sole Republican to vote to convict Trump on one of those articles of, of impeachment. Um, but I think that Mike Lee, with his background as a constitutional attorney, is really interesting, right? And he's going to make a lot of arguments that I think in some ways kind of feel like a law school lecture, which is always really interesting to watch on the floor. And you kind of saw that on the night of January 6th as well. Um, and so he's going to be the one to watch how he uses that background of being a constitutional attorney. He talks so much about his reverence for the Constitution and how important it is. And so I think that he's definitely going to be one to watch. And it, also, you have the added layer of he's been a really, really close Trump ally for a few years now. And so it's going to be interesting to see how those forces play off each other. You know, I spent a lot of time li listening to um, conservative radio and reading uh, conservative blogs. And uh, um, Mitt Romney is um, is under attack uh, mm -hmm. constantly. Um, and it is entirely about his positions uh, in relation to the president. Right. And it's, it's interesting because you know we talk about him as a potential moderate with a lot of power I and mean, the moderation is in is in affect it's in personality um, he, he's very conservative I mean I, I don't know if there's any evidence that he's a moderate on anything other than the fact that he he has taken positions against his party on this president so um, but but uh, it's uh, you know he, he is um, the, the, it's very personal in 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 these forums and uh, and and, it, and it's you know it, it's it's scary it's yeah. it's this whole thing about this this um, political atmosphere we have right, right. now the, the other element that we have to that, that needs to be thrown out there is the pardon. Does the president pardon himself, which then becomes a process of litigation, or and and, and as the Desert News pointed out just a couple of days ago, there's a there is pressure on President Biden to pardon Trump. That way, like they did with with Ford with Nixon, to say, yes, you may not like it, but we we have something, we have things to do. Let's move on. That's going to be up for discussion too. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll keep following this story even here on the Repinkley Report. I want to jump into uh, it's it's a national issue, but with very local uh, implications too on the vaccine. Because I, I I'm going to quote Frank Pignanelli. So on the, on this very show uh, in the past, you said this is going to be the year of the politics of the vaccine. Is that playing out? Absolutely. You see it on a national level and even a local level. You, you pick up the paper today and you have people screaming, yelling that they, they couldn't get through to the county health department. Mm -hmm. They're blaming Spencer Cox. Spencer Cox is doing a good job of trying to just unleash it, in my opinion, trying to figure out how, how it makes it all work. You've got politicians on both the legislature and the counties and the county health departments. Mm -hmm. And it's a rickety system right now, but they're doing their best to deal with it. And and so it is going to be very political. The, where it's going to get really political is when more and more people are starting trying to get it, and it looks like it's limited. And that's where there's be a lot of frustration level. Mm -hmm. And we got frustration with elected officials. It becomes political. You know, I got a call at uh, in, in the morning from uh, from my father because he was trying to register himself and and uh, and my mom for the for the vaccine. Right. And uh, and couldn't get through couldn't get through on, on the website and and i have to say from from that perspective you do wonder how it is that we've known this was coming for months we have known for months that there was going to be a massive uh, need to get vaccine to people and still we're making decisions on the fly at the last minute deciding oh no it's no longer teachers uh, or it is teachers oh it's no longer essential workers it's people over 75 oh no it's not 75 we're going to go back to 70 
and 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 then you get on a website that could they could have had someone working on for ten months almost, mm -hmm. and uh, and and it's not ready when they when they turned it on. I, it's that yeah. is a frustration. Yeah, Sonia, tell us what you're hearing because that's a very valid point. Not only all these changes, but even taking it out of the healthcare systems in the state, moving these to local health departments. Even that caused websites crash. It's all the things that Max and Frank were just talking about. But talk about that for a moment. The implications. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Like it's easy for us who you know work in news, work in politics, to feel like, oh, I understand what's going on with the vaccine. I read about this every day. But when you think about people who do not work in news, who do not work in politics, they have to try to keep up with all these changes that the governor is making, and that's really difficult to do. Um, and going back to you know the websites crashing and things like that, I think we also need to look at this through a little bit of an equity lens also. Um, if you have people who have bad internet access or don't have access to a computer at all, um, those people are gonna have a harder time signing up. They're gonna probably get the vaccine later. Um, this is something that the state knows, um, particularly with, with older people. And they, I think they are, they're setting up a kind of hotline so you can do it over the phone. But, um, you know, to that point, why wasn't this done a really long time ago, especially when we knew that older people were going to be the ones to get it, you know, relatively early? Yeah. Part of this right. is it's, it's something I've noticed is that in, in, in America, when you look at our history, we're not good at top down stuff. Because, you know, you've got the federalism and also, of course, you have the local governments, whether it's war or other crises. We're not good at the initial stages, but we catch up, we do better. I think that's what's going to happen. We'll, we'll figure this out. We did with the polio vaccine. In four or five months, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work well. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about... Yeah. Go ahead, Sonia. Yeah, and I mean, just to, you know, to Spencer Cox's credit, I mean, he came into office and was like, all right, let's make some changes. He rolled out this executive order that, you know, switched some things up, made the system a little more centralized locally within those local health departments rather than having vaccine distribution go through medical providers. Um, you know, he, he came out and he made some changes right off the bat. And and so that was smart. I think going that. to the county health was smart because the hospitals, they're already burdened. And, and also it means that... Uh, yeah, their ICUs are at 94 Yeah, capacity. so why not go to county like, health? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then it's clearly delineated too. I mean, you, you could, someone from Davis County might go to the university hospital um, and then who's keeping track of who's right. been vaccinated yeah. but if but th those health departments they're they're county lines yeah, so, so credit to Spencer Cox for that mm -hmm. okay so Spencer Cox has some more to do with this next legislative session right uh, I want to talk about a couple of those pieces uh, let, let's first talk about the session itself starts next week uh, on Tuesday Wow Frank everything seems to be different about the session. Wow, COVID's influence, but not just that, but the, the possibility of violence. Possibility of violence, and you know, usually people just throw things at lobbyists, but now apparently it's, <laughs> they take it to a new level. And yes, my, my, my job as a lobbyist has changed dramatically. And of course, it's also more importantly, it's, it, the public input's changed dramatically yeah. because it's gone from what we were looking at, maybe you know, kind of these hybrid models of communicating with lawmakers to it's, Everyone's locked up, for at least for the first week and a half, maybe. No one, and I mean no one, gets to the Capitol. But then it's still going to have you know, a virtual sense because of the pandemic. And so, you know, we've all been up to the Capitol. I mean, it, it's a great, it's a fun place to be during a session. You know, there's a lot of pandemonium, but you're able to pull legislators off the floor, talk to you, get business done. Those days are gone for this session. It's very much a, st a structured element of you talk to that legislator by phone or by Zoom and things like that. 
which you know, still allows public access, but it does change the dynamics of groups of individuals, especially citizen activists, coming up, interacting with their legislators. And hopefully they find a way for it to make that happen. Yes, Sonia, how are you looking at this session uh, you, as you know, member of the media trying to even get to these elected officials when probably not going to be allowed there for a while? Yeah, um, we had a lot of really difficult discussions about how to cover this session, um, my colleague Emily and I, and there's a lot also to weigh about public, like your health and your safety and what you're able to do as a member of the media and kind of where we landed was let's cover as much as we can remotely because what good does it do to our mission to inform the public if one of us gets sick covering something in person that we could have covered online and then we can't do our jobs for a week or two all that well because we're sick and not feeling well and so that was kind of the conversations that we were having um i think our plan also is still you know if we're having trouble getting in contact with a lawmaker which happens sometimes during the session they're really really busy um then you know you can kind of go up to the hill and track them down and like oh i know you're going to be in this committee room at this time so i'll try to talk to you then um but it's going to be really different and i think that like health and safety has to come first at least for me and that's kind of how i'm approaching it yeah we're all go, go ahead so one of the interesting questions along among the political community is once this big lockdown is lifted and the public's able to go interact a little bit does the will there be an outbreak? <laughs> and you know, if there's an outbreak, what do they do? They do they shorten the legislative legislative session, or they just kind of muddle through? So that's yes. one of the questions being asked. <laughs> wow, it's gonna be so interesting. Wow. Well, and that's like the that's the lawmaker side of what I was saying, right? Like, if you have a big outbreak <laughs> in the legislature and you have to like stop the session for a little bit, what good does that do? And so I'm obviously there. It's a little bit different, like being a legislative body versus being a reporter. But, um, you know, that's a that's a consideration that you have to make as well. I look forward to your podcast during the session, 45 days on KUER, right? Thank you. So, yeah, we'll be yes. listening to the, how, how it goes and how you uh, you navigate that inside the Hill. Uh, Max, I want to talk about the budget for a second, because this is going to occupy the entire first week. Mm -hmm. The base budgets, everything else. The governor re released his budget, but the mm -hmm. legislature is already talking about this. Stuart Adams, this is the session mm -hmm. of the tax reduction. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, that's uh, it's kind of shocking. And, and this is a place where Utah is kind of living in a different world then than much of the rest of yeah. the country. I mean, we kind of do all the time anyway, but but in this sense, with uh, the Utah economy is doing pretty well, and so there's, the budget is relatively flush, at least com compared yes. to other places. They have about a billion more dollars in uh, split fairly evenly between ongoing and part-time money uh, that they could spend. Now, they want to act like they have less, in a way, because they're worried that there's a that there's kind of a, f a f bubble there that's going, to, that's going to go away. But they're talking about spending spending more on education and also potentially borrowing more in bonding because because it's so cheap to borrow money right now especially with a state that has a high bond rating and so it's uh, but but the question is do you do you give a tax cut still at a time when there are a whole lot of needs and even though Utah's economy is doing well um, we have we our, our unemployment rate is still about a percent and a half worse than it was a year ago and uh, and the people who are suffering are the people who 
who could afford it the least mm -hmm. because the the people who are losing their jobs are the people who um, who weren't making much to begin with in retail restaurant hospitality that kind of thing mm -hmm. talk about the legislators are approaching this as a former legislator also as you look at this you know there about a billion dollars of one-time money on the table to be spent but but some our legislators are looking at what Max called the bubble sort of this this phantom amount of money that may exist in our economy because of the federal stimulus that came in there's a big concern about that so you're first of all they need to backfill some of the stuff they cut mm. from yeah. for, you know from you know from that they did during the summer so they need, they're gonna have to take some of that and then backfill that then move forward and say okay we're worried about any ongoing uh, funding, ongoing programs because that may have been a bubble. The second thing is, they have, there's still a worry out there about a recession. If the Nash recession comes in, and so does that diminish revenues? But as you said, the Utah economy is doing so well. So legislators have got those dynamics. Then you have all the needs that are being pushed through because of the uh, the pandemic that there's not federal uh, funding for, especially uh, on the economic sector. So you have all, it's all, you hear about all this money and people say we could rush in and get our programs funded, but the legislature are trying to be conservative both of what, trying to predict the future, six, you know, six months out and a year out, so you can see all those different dynamics. And there will be a tax cut, there'll probably be an adjustment based upon the federal tax reform from a couple years ago, but they want to be able to say that they have done that. You know what they're calling it now? They're calling it, rather than the income tax, they're calling it the productivity tax. They're saying that you're taxing you know yeah. the productivity of our of our workers, which is a, it's an interesting thing. It's a, they're changing the argument. But the thing to watch for the budget is this: you had that Amendment G pass, which of course expanded the ability to use the income tax dollars for edu from education broader. Yeah, for, for, for children. And they're, 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 it's interesting having some of these conservatives talking. Well, we want to approach the holistic approach towards the education and care of children. So that's what they're trying to do: is say, you know, we we're, we're going to we're going to pay for these programs through Medicaid or through different different programs through the social services budget as part of the whole package. Right. It's an interesting concept, and it'll be one it'll be fun to watch to see how they're able to accomplish this. And it has really changed the mindset of many legislators. Mm -hmm. So, Sonia, uh, with yeah, these legislators, oh, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I had, I had two things I wanted to talk about with Amendment G. So first of all, yes, definitely, they had this whole conversation about let's help the child in a whole, very holistic sense. But also, we can't forget that this was also a way to deal with tax reform after that package um, really kind of exploded last year and, and lawmakers ended up repealing it to deal with what they're calling a revenue imbalance where you have slowing growth of sales tax, um, but still income tax rising a lot and the income tax goes to the education fund. Um, and that's the simplest way I can think of yeah. to describe it. It's a very complex issue. Um, but so this was kind of a, in a ways of replacement for that. And lawmakers will tell you that um, because they're able to take some of that education money and put it towards stuff that the sales tax would normally fund, that helps with that balance a little bit. And uh, Spencer Cox said in a press conference recently that, you know, this bought them a, a couple of years. And um, also, I talked to the Executive Appropriations Chair, Jerry Stevenson, and, uh, last month, and he told me right now they're not going to be using that new mechanism. At least there's no plans to this session. That's going to have to be the last comment. Can't wait to see what happens. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.